Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to Text Message. I'm Nate Langson. And I'm Ian Morris. And we're back with episode 44. Even though we're in our second year now of Text Message, Ian. That's incredible, isn't it? It, Time has flown. It has flown on the back of a magpie towards a bright and wonderful future. And I don't think we'd have carried on had it not been for all the wonderful feedback we've had. That's very true. This sounds almost scripted with with me now going to say, you know, please do keep it coming. We're well over 100 five-star reviews, which is amazing, in the UK store alone. Um, But yes, we are back. We're carrying on uh, weekly as we have been doing for the last year. And we're going to start this week's show talking about the iPhone. Uh, yeah. The iPhone 5SE. 5SE, which is a funny name. I suppose it makes sense because I guess it's based on the 5S. Um, and I guess E means something like... Edition. Uh, well, it's it. yes. I mean, it's not going to mean economy, is it? Because no matter what anyone says, Apple does not do cheap. Internally, according to Apple, and these are all rumours of this alleged 5SE that's due out in April, the SE stands for Special Edition. Yes. And the rumor, as again, this is according to uh, an original leak on 9to5Mac, which has a track record for this sort of thing. Who is this post written by, actually? Mark Gurman. So he's basically always right. He, his sources are incredibly, <laughs> incredibly tight. Um, essentially, this 5SE is going to look very much like the current 5S, which is the model that came before the 6. So this is from 2013's model, that kind of um, quite sharp, chamfered edge. Um, Got to say... M- that's my fav- one of my favourite iPhones, the 5S. It was one of my favourites as well. Very I- nice, because it introduced the fingerprint scanner, didn't it? Which was lovely to use. It, um, it, and yep. it was just a really nicely designed phone. A little bit too small. That's the only criticism. Well, that's also one of the reasons why it's kind of thought that it's still on sale, is because it's the smallest iPhone you can get, and some yeah. people do want a small iPhone. It's the same size as the 5C. Um, we don't know whether this would necessarily replace the 5C. Oh, and... the 5C's got to be dead by now, surely. That oh, phone you... is ancient. You would be surprised. It has, all the in... <laughs> it has the same internals as the iPhone 5, but it still sells and because it's a very good value in, in the UK. Well, you see them around a lot. Uh, a yeah. lot of people have them. I guess it, it, it also appeals to people who don't want that boring kind of metal um, and who want something that's a bit brighter, more, you know, I mean, there's a good segment of people who want bright, colourful phones. Yeah, well, the internals are what the key focuses are on the 5SE, allegedly. So it's pretty safe to say that this, although is the lowest end iPhone, uh, potentially around somewhere around the 5C, maybe a little bit above the 5C, you know, this is going to be the affordable iPhone that doesn't have a plastic case. Um, The internals, it looks like, are going to be mostly along the lines of the iPhone 6. Um, It's got the 8 megapixel camera and 1.2 megapixel front camera from the iPhone 6. It's also got the same A8 and M8 motion chip from the uh, from the iPhone 6. It's got the NFC chip from so the iPhone 6 as well. So why wouldn't they call it... Well, they want Apple Pay to be enabled, don't they? Um, why wouldn't they call it like the iPhone 6e? Surely anything with 6 in it would sell better than something with 5 in it. I mean, again, I, it's I a rumour, isn't it? I, I think that sounds a little bit too sexy, and um, I don't think Apple wants to glam up 
its uh, its model names. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, it... did my joke just fall flat on its face? No, no. Six, you... six, six E was good. I mean, so, I got it. I, I definitely... a sixy phone. Yeah, I, I got it. But I, <laughs> I think until we get any kind of clarification on product names, that's the least important yes, thing to get hung true. up on. The idea here is that the iPhones globally and and also in in new markets that uh, are very important to Apple, like China, like India, they need a, a lower end phone. But Apple doesn't, unlike some manufacturers like Nokia used to do doesn't release phones for specific regions um it has a order in which it tends to release phones but it doesn't come out with sort of like a budget cheap iphone just for developing countries nope. um, those phones are just very expensive in those countries too so yep. the, the the benefit to the uk here is that if there is another model going on sale that is a lot more affordable then that's going to be at least from apple's perspective good in the competition it, it doesn't sound race. to me like it's going to be a lot more affordable I think it'll be the 5C again, where well, it's bear, maybe bear £100 pounds cheaper at, at best. At best. And that's the key thing. The 5C was not that much cheaper than the, than, the, than the 6. And this phone has a lot of features that the 5C doesn't. So you're right. It could well just be around the same, the same point. Um, but the other thing that's going to be interesting in this is that it, does, it, it will allow for a number of other features to uh, sort of have parity, if you like, across the 6, the 6S and the 5. Um, one of which being live photos, which is um, a feature that I personally I, I absolutely ad- I adore. I love yeah. that. That's a kind of Harry Potter newspaper type um, motion added effect of uh, of photographs, and and I adore those things. I think they're fantastic. Um, but also better panoramas and stuff like that. Um, this is in production now. Again, according to the rumors on Nine to Five Mac, and it would mark the first time since well for many many years that an an iphone wasn't released in the sort of the autumn time which is traditionally now when apple releases them they did they did originally get announced and released around june because they were done around wwdc but that hasn't been the case for quite a while so it could mark um the first time that you get kind of lower end refreshes done mid-year or in the spring and then the higher end stuff and we're expecting the iphone 7 in the autumn this year it could sort of create two different cycles for um for apple to kind of close the gap of people wanting to upgrade their phones but having to wait till the same time every year yes it could but of course the that never worked for the 5c did it really i mean i i suppose it was announced at the same time wasn't it it was and the 5c was an odd one because it as you said it wasn't that much cheaper but it looked like a cheaper phone yeah and it did have the internals of an older phone so yeah. the, the the distance internally between the 5c and the current 6s are are radical and android is very very good at closing that gap with a, a you know a range of models kind of plastered across the industry from samsung and htc yes but what they don't have is that aspirational drive that apple has people want to own an iphone and that um uh, you know and, and as much as that will annoy some people it's the truth isn't it it is the truth but this is all good for us. Um, generally speaking, the UK gets um, all the phones at the same time as the US these days. So keep an eye out. Uh, if you're looking to upgrade your phone in Britain over the next two or three months and you're thinking about an iPhone, if not the, the top end, um, then maybe hold off for a little bit because it looks like this is coming around April time. Ian, we do not often talk about government news. No. The problem with government news is that the government sort of tails so far behind what people who are interested in tech know that it just doesn't, it's not even worth talking about half the stuff half the time because you think about things like encryption, you know, it's they come out with these ridiculous ideas like we're going to stop terrorism by banning encryption and everyone who's got even the vaguest whiff of technology about them is like, no, it won't. 
let's move on. So there's almost never any point in talking about it. That's that's very true. But I think it's important because at the end of the day, one of the things that we're seeing a, a huge amount recently is the lobbying of massive American companies like Apple, like Amazon, like Google, in and Facebook, of course, um, in Europe, and and particularly in conversation with the European Commission because of things like tax. And not, we're not going to talk about tax. We're actually going to start now talking about geo-blocking and VPNs and how that's affecting Netflix. We'll come to that in a second. But there are a lot of things going on. Over the last week, Apple has announced that it's you know it's training hundreds of students in a new app development center in Italy. You've got Google that is is putting its hand up and saying, hey, look, we're paying 120-odd million pounds back of, uh, of tax, which frankly seems like a little bit of scratching the surface in terms of how much Google possibly could be perceived to owe. But um, and then you've got Apple as well tweeting about uh, the number of jobs that their app ecosystem uh, creates in Europe. You've also got people like Amazon sending out press releases this week about how much um, they contribute to the overall economy and how many people they employ, how many jobs are created. And you get this real feeling right now that because the EC and the European Commission has always taken a very hard line on on regulation and on keeping companies that operate within the EU to a very, very high standard, um, it's becoming increasingly interesting when US companies come over here to um, uh, to lobby for things because you sort of, you can read the, the, the subtext is Europe is a hugely important market and anything that Europe bans is going to have a massive effect on their business. So with that in mind, this brings us to our story for this part of the show, which is that the UK government has opened a public consultation on something the European, uh, the EC has proposed, which is effectively to ban the the sort of geo-blocking technology that Netflix wants to employ. So if you remember last year, uh, last year, sorry, last week, we talked about the fact that Netflix was looking to ban popular VPN services. Um, these were the services that were used by people who subscribed to Netflix but wanted to be able to access the catalogue of, say, the US Netflix when they were in the UK, or they wanted to access UK Netflix when they were abroad in another country. And Netflix has had to come down quite hard on this, and uh, we believe and talked about last week that it's because of rights holder issues. But the, um, the European Commission has proposed that companies basically be blocked from doing that. And the reason being, of course, is that in the US, while we talk about the US as being one country, it's as big as 50-odd countries, which is a bit like Europe. Yep. Albeit a little bit larger. And um, over here, we have to treat all these countries as, as unique. And although part of a, a union, we are individual countries and, and, and other businesses have to have individual deals with these countries. So if a company like Netflix says you can't use a VPN to access your home catalog from another country, while that might be a bigger deal for people in America, in Europe, sorry, it might feel like less of a deal for people in America. In Europe, this basically means you can't go to France and access your library from that you paid for in England um, or, or vice versa, which, you know, we're talking about Europe banning b- a ban. <laughs> and and that, has, that has, I mean, firstly, I have to say, I'm in favor of the ban of the ban because VPNs, you know, should be permitted. For, for well, there's like not this. really much you can do to stop them again, is there, really? Well, it's happened. There are yeah. some VPNs now that are coming out saying, no, it's we, we've been banned. Yeah, um, although my, you my, could my, easily my... run your own and never get banned. 
Yeah, but it's too advanced. The UK wants to, the, 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 you know, what, what the EU wants to do here is basically say, look, if you are a European citizen and you pay a company, regardless of where they're from, for a, a product, you should be able to access and use that product anywhere in the European Union. So I think any- this is... I think this is basically what um, what the, the people at the BBC want to be involved with this. They they agree that that's actually quite a good idea. I think that you'd be able to access your home library whilst abroad. And abroad in this context is Europe. They're not yes. they're not saying Netflix. They're not trying to impose restrictions on Netflix. What they're saying is that if you want to operate in Europe, then you have to not block VPNs from Europe. That's that's the takeaway here. The thing is, I think that that's I I don't necessarily agree that that's the way it'll end up being because I think that VPNs are something that is a very specific problem that most people will not consider using. I think what they're what they're probably saying is that Netflix needs to be a bit better at understanding where customers are based and allowing them to continue to access that content no matter where they are in Europe. Um, yeah. Because because obviously what the, I I don't think that most people will go on that would be in Europe for a holiday and think, oh, I'd like to watch some iPlayer now. They would try it. They would get an error message and I don't think they'd think any more about it. They'd go, oh, it's not available outside the UK. Fine, I understand. Um, But I don't think they'd go, well, I must circumvent this somehow, even though it's cheap and easy to do. Um, So I I think that really what they're going to try and put in place is is a system whereby if you have an account and you've proved that you're resident in X location, which is easy to do with a credit card, particularly for Netflix, harder for the BBC, um, then you'll just be able to access your home library anywhere in the world. And that sort of takes care of the problem, doesn't it, really? That takes mm. care of Netflix's problem, and it takes care of um, you know, the, the problem of the EU. But it also does mean that Netflix will start tying accounts to countries, which we discussed last week, didn't we, and sort of decided that probably wasn't going to be the way they went forward with it but it might end up being the way they have to go forward with it. Now, you're talking a bit about the iPlayer, though, which is very interesting because we talked about Netflix, but actually, if you go outside of the UK, using iPlayer without using a VPN is 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 difficult and not impossible in some places because the BBC restricts it for use within the UK. So yeah. actually, this, while it would also, you know, sort of force Netflix's hand or at least attempt to in a certain way, we're also potentially going to see the BBC iPlayer opened up to other european countries i mean this is part of something that the ec drew up which is called the digital single market strategy well this is the other thing isn't it like the idea that europe can't be treated as separate countries and has to be treated as one you know sort of thing one entity and that if you and that 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 law already exists like it, it really the whole common market thing is that you are supposed to be able to buy something anywhere in Europe and bring it back without paying extra tax on it and the idea was to open up the economy so really actually digital media is one of the things that actually is really, has really been left behind by that and 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 the people who are in charge of that kind of stuff have made a real effort to avoid being part of the normal law again another reason to be annoyed about digital media really Indeed. And I think that this is one of the cases where I have to put my hands up and say, I kind of like what the EC is doing. Like what yeah. I don't like is what the UK government's doing and trying to pass through the um, investigative, uh, Investigatory Powers Act, the Stupas Charter, which is the most ridiculous uh, set of proposals that I think anybody who's ever used a computer has ever read. We should um, do a special on it, really. Uh, we should go into some detail about it, because seriously, it, I, my concern really, is that people sort of say, oh, well, I haven't got anything to hide. I don't mind if they do that. I think 
there's a real uh, a need for media companies, and obviously I wouldn't suggest that that's us, but people to explain just exactly what the implications of all this are. So perhaps mm. we should consider that for a quiet week, one one week. Well, let me tell you just one great real-world example yeah. of what happens when you start suggesting that government agencies have backdoors into popular messaging apps. Here's what happens. You get a group of people like ISIS, and what they do is they say, oh, we can't use your messaging app. No problem. We'll make our own. And yes. we'll make sure that we control it and we aren't accountable to any government agencies because we acquire our apps and everything via the darknet. Well, guess what happened a couple of weeks ago? Exactly. ISIS started its own encrypted Back, uh, backdoor free government disconnected messaging service so now it doesn't need to use whatsapp it doesn't need to use any service it can use its own but what also this it's it's trivial to apply encryption to any existing messaging service so you could put your own layer on whatsapp and obfuscate what you're doing i mean okay, there'll be some information in that about who you're talking to but you could still say stay keep the message in completely uh, you know away from the government's ability to read it so it, this is a, it's just very backwards everything's backwards it is but the key thing to point out here is when a government tries to enforce something i mean look how long this snoopers chart has been in debate i mean do you remember when we even started talking about this it's been ages yeah. it doesn't take very long for smart groups and and i'm sad to say that isis happens to be unfortunately smart when it comes to digital stuff um it's very easy for them to say well we just won't use whatsapp then they go off and make their own um security uh, enabled system that they can use and we're left with property with with things like whatsapp and imessage being told well we need to have back doors into them while the people we're actually trying to spy on are using other things because they've moved away they don't need whatsapp to to operate no. they, they'll just make their own so this is what happens and this is a shame. But on the other hand, what does also happen is that we have public consultations and it's great because it does at least allow our voices to be heard in commons and in and in parliamentary debates. And I think that the geo-blocking one, um, while I don't think anyone would say has as many negative effects as, as you know, breaking encryption to counter terrorism, um, it does at least make something very clear, which is that it's stupid to impose digital restrictions purely because of rights reasons. And hopefully this new UK consultation about the EU's proposals for banning the banning of, of geoblocks um, is going to come out with some good results for everybody, yeah. as opposed to the encryption thing, which will just make everything worse for everyone who isn't a terrorist. Well, finally, in the news today, there is something that is semi, semi, or a bit, if you prefer, related to the previous topic, and that is about WhatsApp, which is that it has scrapped its subscription fee. And in addition to scrapping its subscription fee, which was only about 60 or 70 pence a year, which is an incredibly small amount of money to pay, but WhatsApp did only ever charge that per year, and that was after a year of free use to begin with. Um, it's decided we're going to get rid of that, and it's not going to introduce ads, and instead it's going to try using um, business-to-consumer or user-to-business or B2C or whichever acronym you prefer, um, services, which is basically trying to get businesses to pay to connect to customers for whatever reason, either it's to sell products or if it's for better customer support, whatever it is, that's the way that Facebook, which owns WhatsApp, 
what seems to want WhatsApp to function as a business in the future. Now, I find this particularly interesting because on the one hand, it kind of shows that WhatsApp having a subscription fee is not a business model that works. You know, it's got about three, four, five, six hundred million people globally who use WhatsApp. Um, and if you're charging them an amount of money every year and it's still not worth it, then it's definitely not going to be um, something that just increasing that fee is going to fix. The thing is that, uh, first of all, I would like to say that I've known this is coming for a very, very long time. It was incredibly obvious that they weren't going to keep charging the fee. Um, and I, I think you'd struggle to find anyone that actually paid it as well. Like There are not very many people who I think had ever been asked to. I've had it for years, and I've and it's every year it said, oh, we're not charging you this year, have another year on us. But you know why? Go on. It's because you are grandfathered, and that's not a pass at you being old. No, it's, you... it's just because people who did originally pay to download it. Ah, yes, you it, see, I didn't pay to download it. That's the thing. I've, I, I came in way after they'd introduced the yearly fee, and I, I never bought the app. Oh, okay. Well, you're, so that, an interesting... you're, you're right you in... about that, because I had other conversations with people about the same thing, and they said, oh, yes, well, I paid, so I've never had to ch- be charged. Um, but also, I think that because as soon as Facebook bought it, the writing was on the wall. They weren't going to carry on charging for it because that's just not Facebook's model of charging for things, is it? No. And here's something interesting as well, is that A, it also puts WhatsApp more in line with Messenger, which is arguably and ironically WhatsApp's biggest competitor being owned by by Facebook. It it it, it closes that gap a little bit. But the fact that, they, that they're, they're, they're doing a... Well, they they're talking about doing a business to consumer business model. Frankly, just feels like it's becoming. I don't know. It's it's hard to say. It's more like, is it a business tool? Is it more like Twitter? Because you know, a lot of the reason that that companies have Facebook and Twitter logos plastered across all their advertising, and and they don't pay Facebook for that opportunity to do that. It's fine. The reason they do it is to make angry customers go to their facebook pages to bitch about them before going to tabloids right and complaining yes. like that's basically why so they company... can keep a, yeah they can keep an eye on what what people are annoyed about and try and you know help them out exactly and when they do that everyone thinks customer service is great like find me someone who goes and complains about something on facebook or twitter gets an immediate reply their problem fixed Within an hour, they're happy and they're talking about how great that company is. It's because of social media. But I think that's come out the other side now. I think actually that social media has now become a bother. If I complain about a company on Twitter, I will now get um, a fairly useless reply um, that on the surface looks like customer service, but is actually just not helpful at all. And that's happened a load of times with companies like Virgin Media and others, you know, trying to get in touch. In fact, Amazon did it the other day. They sent me a message a month after my original complaint, um, having ignored it the first time around. So I, I, I'm over that whole social media complaining thing. It doesn't work. There are bad examples in every instance of, of this. But but this is interesting because the issue with complaints is that they can go viral on social media. You know, a good or a bad True. complaint service and all this kind of stuff, it can go viral. Viral. Guess what can't go viral? Or guess what platform What's things that? like this can't go? Yes. <laughs> Well, it exactly. can, because you can screenshot it and send it off. Oh, but that's a pain in the ass. That's, well, that's, it is. That's two but... button presses. And as we know from today's armchair activists, two button presses is a lot of effort. Yes. That's... One button press is a lot easier. So True. if you can say, you know, if you can get one-to-one text or call, because bear in mind WhatsApp does have calling functionality in it, um, support, all you have to do is is use your WhatsApp account, and it doesn't have the risk of going viral. You know, what a great way. Direct connection to a user's phone. It's tied to a phone number, so you know who that person is. It's not just like a spam Twitter account. 
again, I don't know how companies would see that as valuable to pay money for because it's still having to use another person's app as opposed to their own customer service help desk. Well, but it makes it's you so think... much easier. Imagine if you could pick up your phone, search WhatsApp for businesses, yeah. um, communicate with a local business or communicate with a business you've already got an agreement, you know, like a, like Virgin, say, of, like, I've got this problem, uh, you know, explain in, you know, because you've got no text limit, unlike Twitter, explain the problem and then wait for someone to get back to you. I mean, that's actually yeah. a kind of a really smart idea. And it I- could be the future of customer support in some ways. Now, I like that idea. And that's made me think of one other step. Imagine if you could outsource that. Like customer service has long, you know, for a long time been outsourced to, to countries where the, the cost per person is, is yeah. far lower, which means that you can have 24-7 call centers without it costing half your business. I mean, you could do that via text and not have the problem of, um, you know, of, of hard to distinguish accents through a dodgy phone line at three o'clock in the morning. Um, and I only say that because I had such awful customer service when I was on three. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's a very specific example. But this would, I mean, surely if this was a way of outsourcing customer support, regardless of location, I mean, that would be that would be great. I mean, yeah. we could we could hypothesize on this forever. The weird thing is, though, is that I just this feels like, you know, Facebook saying we paid nineteen billion dollars for for WhatsApp and we still don't know how to make any money out of it. Um, you know, and to not do ads is another interesting thing because you would feel that ads are the most obvious um, way for a company like Facebook to make money because it already has those internal systems and accounts already set up for for handling something like that. Um, this is this is the point where we want to hear from you, the the devoted and wonderful and may I say today dashingly handsome audience. <laughs> Let us know whether you would want to communicate via WhatsApp to um, to a company that you're complaining about. Uh, podcast at natelangson.com. That is where you can send your thoughts and indeed thoughts on anything that we've talked about in today's show or in future shows or past shows or just anything that's on your mind to do with tech. Well, just before we finish, Ian had uh, a little extra nugget that he wanted to pick out of his uh, technology sandwich and and share with you, the people. The world's oldest torrent is now 4,419 days old. Wow, what is Isn't it? Isn't that brilliant? It's, uh, it's, it's hilarious. It's, uh, it's the Matrix, but encoded in ASCII. So wow. it doesn't really break too many laws. I mean, it's obviously, it's a little bit dodgy but ultimately it's not going to be taking anything away from the dvd copy of the matrix is it or the blu-ray no. well, you'd, uh, like, but, to th- you'd yeah. like to think not wouldn't but, you but that's interesting that that i think is um is a much more interesting story than it first appears because if you think about it uh that's 12 years um and um the, the sites that started it have long since closed so that's a piece of data that was set up by one person and that person's you know gone and the site no longer exists but that data exists you know, as seeds in the cloud. It's cool. That's great. That's great. And it shows the resilience of BitTorrent. It does. If you want to make, leave some information, all you need to do is persuade people to keep seeding it for the rest of eternity and mm. it will live forever. Or set up a server yourself and permanently have something in the cloud. Absolutely. Ian. Nate. I don't have anything else to say to you now. But, well, that's very kind. So why don't you clear off then? Bye. <laughs> Bye. 
I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies. I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.